From Murphy to Mantio, extraordinary athletes, coaches, administrators, and contributors have impacted the North Carolina sports landscape. For some, their talents left an indelible mark. So much so, they are enshrined in the North Carolina Sports Hall of Fame. It's time to chat with one of those Hall of Famers who dared to be as tall and stately as our Longleaf Pines. Here is your host of 15 Minutes of Fame, Chris Edwards. Welcome to 15 Minutes of Fame. I'm Chris Edwards. On the podcast this week, we visit with Randolph Childers, a 2024 North Carolina Sports Hall of Famer. We talk about growing up just outside of D.C. and where his love of basketball began, what brought him to Winston-Salem to be a Demon Deacon, and of course, we talk about that magical 1995 ACC tournament where Randolph led the Demon Deacons to their first ACC title in over three decades. We also talk a little bit about his journey in the NBA and playing overseas, as well as what it's been like calling games for ESPN. That's Randolph Childers joining the podcast this week. Randolph, thanks so much for the time and welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, Let me start kind of at the beginning. You were born in D.C. Tell me about growing up and and where you first developed your love for basketball. (laughs) You know, it's funny. I'm from Southeast D.C. And uh, my love for basketball didn't start because I played football. And uh, my love for basketball started because I, I moved to Maryland when I was 13. So I was just starting middle school, and I was living at, at that range. And so I, I moved out, and I wanted to try to sign up for boys' club basketball. And it was too late. It was right when the school started in August, and it was too late to uh, play football. And uh, they were like, the only sport you can play is basketball. So my mom was just like, I got to get you out of this house so you can play, you know, meet some new people, meet some friends. And uh, she signed me up for Allentown's Boys Club. And uh, that was the first year I'd ever played uh, organized basketball. And so I didn't start playing basketball until I was 13. And prior to that, I just loved to compete and play. But football has always been my first love and my sport. And then basketball came late. And uh, I think that surprises a lot of people. But I think the good thing about, for me, what I learned and it helped me in coaching and understanding the game was how important my fundamentals were, were because I, I learned from coaches and they were anal about the fundamentals of the game. And so I never had bad habits. And it's one of those lessons that I, I, I've always forwarded to people when I, when younger kids who started playing the game a lot earlier than I did, uh, is that, hey, just don't develop any bad habits when you're younger. So I was fortunate enough not to do that. And uh, just it, it just came to me quickly. It came to me naturally. And uh, I was a product of really good coaching. And, and then uh, – just allowing me to be me, and, and, and it's just a great, just a great experience. What a heck of a run! I, I'm going to jump ahead a lot because we don't have a lot of time together. But you played your college yeah, basketball at Wake Forest. Uh, tell me about the career with the Demon Deacons and how you got from DC to Winston Salem. What was the recruiting process like? Wow, uh, didn't have a lot of scholarships going my junior year, and things just flipped. I transferred to Flint High School, played for a uh, legendary, I think one of the best, if not the best high school coach ever in Stu Vetter. And that's when a lot of national exposure came for me. And uh, I had a heck of a senior year. We were a nationally ranked team. And by the end, I was getting All-American recognition and all those things. And so finally, um, I, I developed and got scholarship offers. My final five were Maryland, Georgetown, North Carolina, Wake Forest, and Seton Hall. But the biggest difference was the reason I chose Wake and Seton Hall were my final two because – 
I was struggling with school, and when I went to transfer to Flint Hill, it was a really small school. My GPA shot through the roof. I excelled with the individual attention in the classroom, so I thought graduating from school, being the first member of my family to do so, uh, that I'd have a better chance of doing so at Seton Hall or Wake Forest. One of those visits, Wake just fit, and uh, it's weird because it wasn't a basketball thing. The year before, Seton Hall was in the national championship with, against Michigan, and Wake was at the bottom of the ACC. But uh, just made the right decision. Rodney Rogers, I met in Nike camp. He commits, and I thought we could build something there, and that's a big part of why my, my reasons came, and obviously because of Dave Oden. Well, Coach Odom was great. He's a North Carolina Sports Hall of Famer. We've already talked to him, and we, we love Coach Odom. Uh, during your freshman year, though, Randolph, you had to miss a lot of your rookie season because of that knee injury, but then earned ACC honors each of your last three years. As you look back on it now, how much did that knee injury and where you had to sit out your rookie year kind of change your outlook on the game and maybe impact your, your game and the way that you played? Well, the knee injury didn't happen until my sophomore year. Sophomore year. I played my rookie year, and we were really good. And 1991 was my rookie year, and we were we instantly were a tournament team. Uh, Rodney and I were there. I think we were like first and second or whatever in the ACC rookie of, of the year. And a big part of that turnaround with, with, with so many of the veteran guys, and Anthony Tucker, Chris King, Dirk McQueen, and so many of those guys. And, and we uh, it just turned around quickly for us. And we had a lot of talent. We were young, but had a lot of talent. And, that sophomore year, I think, is one for me that goes down in Wake Forest history, and I think about it often because uh, in some publications, we were a preseason national, uh, Final Four team my sophomore year. We were returning a lot. I didn't start as a freshman. So missing that sophomore year is, is like one of the biggest what-ifs of my life because I, I thought that team was big, talented, and athletic, and uh, we, you know my injury just cost us with perimeter shooting, and I thought it's just, like I said, one of the biggest what-ifs of my Let's jump ahead to your senior year, named the ACC Tournament MVP, averaged 35 points per game in the tournament. In the finals, you scored 37 points, hit the game-winning jumper with four seconds left in overtime. Uh, Tell me about the tournament, but not just the tournament, but also just what stands out when you think back on that season in 95 with the Demon Deacons. You you, You wouldn't believe this now, but those around the program will remember this. And so... Coming into my the junior year, they had a select team, and there was a college player mm-hmm. that was selected to go and compete against the NBA guys. And I was on that select team, and I go into Reynolds Gym on campus that time to kind of work out, get ready for it, and I dislocate my shoulder. Pop it out. I couldn't get it back in. I have to go, and I have to have surgery. So I have surgery to get ready for the season. I get all the way through the season, no issues. And literally the last leading up in practice one day, right before the ACC tournament, it pops out again. And it pops back in. It's sublux, they call it. And I popped out, popped back in. So um, I, I don't play going into that. And the, the craziest thing about that tournament is I don't – I did not touch a ball until we played Duke. Leading up to that couple of days of practice, because people know when your shoulder pops out, you can't lift it above your head. I don't do anything until the game, the do game. And then I go for, you know, on this run. So I think that's the probably the most unique, unique thing about that tournament run is what transpired prior to that. And when you get into a zone like that, uh, it's just tough. Three games and, and, and back to back to back. And, and just obviously at that time, I mean, you're talking to elite teams and, Duke was a little bit down that year, but Virginia, Maryland, 
North Carolina with just all special teams and uh and we just were able to you know, we all tied the regular season and we were able to get the point uh point difference to, to get the number one seed against so many great talented teams and uh that that time doing the ACC I think is as good as there ever was and it was a special time to compete against those guys. And I was just fortunate enough to be in a groove and do something that I, I laugh about to this day with the ACC tournament record. Uh, I, I don't, I don't expect it to hold. It doesn't bother me when someone breaks it. Uh, honestly, I'd love to be there when that happens, mm-hmm. but uh, I, I'm just honored to be able to, to know when I committed to wait where we started and where it was to bring a conference championship to it by the time I left. So I, that's something I've always took pride in and just really happy to be a part of that with my teammates. All right, I got to ask you about the game-winning shot, though, that you hit over Jeff McGinnis, had that crossover, then you had something to say for him uh, before you hit the shot. All right, set the record straight. Uh, two thoughts here. One, what did you say to him? And two, did you know that the shot was good before it left your hand? You know what? We, they beat us in Winston earlier that year. And Jeff had made a comment that after the game that if they kept it close, they knew we would choke. And I I cannot tell you how mad I was. I was just like, you know what? I've never choked in my life. I've just missed the shot. I've never been nervous. I always associated choking with if you were nervous and, and didn't perform. And I would always say, hey, I just missed it if I miss it. And I never forgot that. So we had. I had to wait. They beat us early in the season, so I had to wait. And next to the last game or whatever it was in the regular season, we played them in Chapel Hill, and we win that game. And it was just the perfect amount of energy that I needed because I was exhausted coming into that championship game uh, Sunday. And to I needed to play against Jeff again because I was so mad at those comments because I took it personal. And the good thing is we were allowed to talk trash back then. It was not like today where it's a technical file. We were allowed to talk trash. And if you know Jeff, no one talks more than Jeff. And I was known to talk a little trash myself. So just two competitive guys going, getting after it. And uh, when I made the move and he fell, I just said, get up. Like, come on. Because I was just so mad at him. I didn't even care if the shot went. I, I literally was going to wait for him to get up and come back. If 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 uh, Stackhouse wasn't running toward me to block the shot, I wouldn't have shot it. Like I was just so mad at him, and uh, Stackhouse started coming. And you know how great of an athlete he was. And I thought, man, let me get this shot off before he blocks it. And I did, and and I honestly did not care if it went in. And, and for me, it going in was just an added bonus. Uh, let's jump ahead now. Uh, drafted in the first round of the NBA draft in '95 by the Pistons. What do you remember from draft day? Oh wow. Uh, I was so nervous. I remember being, I, 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 they were talking, you could go, it, it, being invited to the draft. I had so many family and friends I wanted to share the moment with. So we, we, I stayed home. I did something with my family. And uh, you get calls. Like, people don't know how crazy and toxic that, that situation is. It's like, you're getting calls from teams, and you may get, I, 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 when you know people own organizations and stuff, where there's relationships, either through your representation or through your family people will let you know what's going on in their, in their rooms. And I remember seeing the whole uh, Sacramento calls and, um, Williamson, I think was that was out of Arkansas was their pick and they were picked. They were split between he and I. And I think I got a call saying that, Hey, the ownership, uh, the owner's going to make the final call. And they went with him. And so then you just don't know, you know, you just kind of, and like, you know, obviously my number gets called and 
Detroit calls me and says, hey, we're going to make a trade with Portland and we're going to trade your rights to Portland. And they kind of let you know what's going on ahead of time. And then it's finally over. Believe it or not, when my name was called, I, I was so nervous. I was out walking my dogs. I just said, the heck with this. I can't take this anymore. I was out walking the dogs. And then someone comes out and was like, hey, you know, they, they called my agent and they were like, hey, TJ uh, Colissimo, who was at Seton Hall, who I told you before I was mm-hmm. going to go play with. He was then the head coach at Wake Forest, and then they called, and I talked to PJ, and he's like, hey, get your butt out here on this plane. We want you out here in Portland, and, and that's how it happened. You played in the NBA for a couple of years, then went overseas, played mm-hmm. in Australia, Turkey, Italy, a bunch of other places. Uh, just tell me about the experience of playing overseas and the biggest difference in the game overseas versus what it's like playing here in the States. I've always, I would never, I would never second guess my career in that aspect. I've learned so much as a man and as a, as a uh, person, as a player from that experience. And I think it's helped me so much. Uh, and I would never, I, I just wouldn't regret it. And, and some people may look at it as disappointment. My body physically just couldn't hold up anymore at that time. You know, I think people, you hear people talk about it from my time, how physical the game was, and I can assure you it was extremely physical. Uh, my body wouldn't have been able to hold up and take that. I think my second or third game of my career, uh, I, I had another shoulder surgery, and uh, my body was just taking a pounding. And, and for a small guy, um, by NBA standards, that was just tough for me to deal with. And so, I, you know, it was one of those things where I was like, let me, you just fit me better. I would have not had a long career physically uh, had I stayed in the NBA as much as I wanted to, uh, going to Europe, playing twice a week, and and and, and it's just it just it just suited me better. But the people that I met, the experiences that I had, were things that I would never regret. The knowledge that I gained from from the way that game was played, Europe has always played the way uh, that is played now. You see, what's happening now is something that they they they've been doing. That's just their style of basketball. Skilled guys moving the basketball, everybody learning how to play and shoot and. Our only advantage at that, one of our bigger advantages at that time was just our, some skill, but, but just our physicality. And now they've caught up with that. And, you know, that's where you see the gap is closed, obviously, from your basketball to now. But tremendous people. I enjoyed the culture. Just, I'm just blessed to be able to spend them apart and learn in so many different cultures through the game of basketball. And my journey has just been amazing. Well, now you're still around the game calling these college games for ESPN. What's that experience been like for you to work games on TV? You know what? It's been great. It's, um, I see the game, I think, differently, and it allows me, uh, you know, my biggest adjustment is trying to, you know, just you, you how the game is going and you're working with different people. But uh, I think I do provide a unique way of doing it because I've done it at a high level at so many different ways. Like there's nothing that any kid is going to go through as a coach, I mean, as a player that I haven't gone through, and then I've coached mm-hmm. in this league, in the ACC, and I've coached at the highest level. So I understand, uh, you know, having coached guys that have played in the NBA. So I understand that aspect, too, and being in those rooms and being a part of making those decisions. So I think it allows me to be able to, to, to get people watching the game to understand it from both perspectives, players, coaches. And, and so I think that's a unique thing that I provide. 
and uh, it's been it's been fun. I really enjoyed it, and, and I'm excited about the opportunity. No, I'll let you go with this thought, and this is the way I like to end all of these podcasts. Uh, people are looking to be successful in whatever walk of life that they're in, whether it's personal life or business. You've obviously been tremendously successful in your basketball career, both as a player, a coach, and now a broadcaster. For you, what do you think are the biggest character traits a person needs to have to be successful in life? I think it's love what you do and balance. For me, I pride myself on my balance, and and that's with my family as well. Um, it's sacrifice and balance. You know, if you want to accomplish anything great, I think you have to sacrifice for it. But within that sacrifice, you need to have balance for your loved ones, uh, because I think that the two go hand in hand. Because the people who suffer when you chasing your dreams and your journey are the closest ones to you. And you have to sacrifice to include them in that journey so that they feel a part of it. And so they know that they're the reason why you do it. Um, making money and making these accomplishments and all that are great, but they're just for you. We can never get family back. You can never get opportunities back, you know, for your younger kids. They need you here all day, every day. And it's just a great thing to be a part of that. And it's, uh, I'm just excited about that. And I, I often share that story with even coaches now. Coaches have spent so much time away from their families. People have no idea athletically. They just focus on the money that they hear from head coaches. But everybody involved, in, in, all members of it, from, from, from people who help with equipment to everything else that are not millionaires, they travel and sacrifice a lot for their families. So sacrificing and then and in balance with their family and work is, is something that I, I preach often when I meet with people and talk to them. Randolph, that's a perfect place to end. Thanks so much for your time. Congratulations again on the Hall of Fame, and we look forward to seeing you in May at the induction ceremony. Sounds good. I look forward to it. Super excited about it. Thanks to Randolph for his time on the podcast this week, and thanks to you for joining us on 15 Minutes of Fame. If you would like to contribute to the educational efforts of the Hall, please consider a donation. You can visit our website at ncshof.org, and you'll easily find the Donate button. Also, if you'd like to receive our electronic newsletter, please send us your email. Our address is info at ncsportshalloffame.com. For all of us at the North Carolina Sports Hall of Fame, I'm Chris Edwards.